Hi everybody, this is Eric with Smart Pot Fabric Planters and we're back with another episode of The Growing Revolution. We've got a great guest who is a bit outside of our normal wheelhouse, but he was brought to our attention by our owner, Kurt Rieger, and his area of expertise is in branding and uh, marketing and specifically in cannabis. Uh, his name is David Palashuk, and he's the author of Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis. Um, and what's funny is, you know, 10, 12 years ago, you know, we would have never really had this conversation because cannabis was just still under cover of darkness. But, you know, now it's uh, burgeoning into the uh, mainstream industry uh, that it's becoming. So I wanted to welcome David to our show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. Yes. Uh, th thanks for your time. Um, you know, like I said, normally we have on like kind of gardening experts and, you know, cultivation experts, but, you know, your, your knowledge base, I think, applies to, you know, everybody in our industry and, you know, branding, you know, is in the realm of sales and marketing. So really everybody, uh, I'm sure, can gain from the information we're going to talk about today. So I'm, I'm really excited to meet you and ask some questions. Um, so you've had many years of experience in branding and marketing, both in and out of the cannabis industry. Would you tell us about your background and how you found your way into the cannabis industry? Yeah, sure. And so the first thing I'd, I'd like to say is, you know, even though I'm sort of uh, an outlier in terms of the people you speak to, it's not a cultivator or an expert in that area. I certainly understand cultivation and how important it is. Um, I understand plants, I understand terpenes and cannabinoids and uh, curing process and all of the other things that would go into food cultivating and talking about. So um, I've been in the industry now for 12 years, but I've really been around the plant for most of my life. Um, I started off as a professional skateboarder and through that understood um, lifestyle and lifestyle marketing and cannabis came into that and transcends lifestyle, um, not only in skateboarding, but in every other dimension of how we live our lives every day, um, who we are, whether positively positive or negative. But my, um, my experience has basically been, uh, like I said earlier, in branding and marketing. I've worked uh, for many years um, at the American Express, MasterCard, uh, Microsoft, Pepsi and Microsoft. And, uh, you know, in, in while at Pepsi, I supported uh, Mountain Dew. And while at Microsoft, I was um, part of the Xbox team. So, again, I've always understood how music and art and activities and cannabis come together. So, as the, uh, you know, as in 2012, as the uh, I-502 law passed here in Washington State, and uh, similar law in Colorado, the first few states to launch adult use cannabis, you started to see the mentality shift, right? The, the, initially, the initial thought was, you don't need to brand cannabis, because cannabis sells itself, you know? Um, and sure, that was, that was the case originally. Of course, it was, you know, is it the brown one or, or is it the green one? Right. And, uh, you know, 
from brown and green, then it was like, is it sativa or indica? Or then what strain is it, right? But now it's it's so far beyond that, you know, and it's, it's beyond, it all comes from the plant and flower, but it's beyond that. If you move away from that, you know, it's really become a different thing, right? So as you go through the form factors, you know, the flower and then the extracts and the waxes and butters and chatters and tinctures and God, sublingual slips and edibles and beverages and transdermal patches and I could keep on going on, right? But it moves away from from the flower, from the plant, if you will, we start we get closer to distillates and isolates and those become ingredients in a brownie or a beverage or things like that. So um, that's where branding becomes important, even more important as we move away from the plant. And um, you know, I think if you look at Coca-Cola, you know, it's it's uh, water, caramel color, carbonation, and, and sugar, uh, but that's not what Coca-Cola is. You know, Coca-Cola is have a coconut smile. It's, it's the aspirational feeling that Coke gives you. It's it's what Nike does. It's what any great brand, right? And that's where we're moving as as we move from the plant, the flower, into regulated markets semi-regulated markets with products and those products are consumed in the way that we consume everything from beverage all the way through to our toothpaste to our soap and shampoo. Nice. Now in your book, Branding Bud, the commercialization of cannabis, um, you know, would you talk a little bit about, you know, what's in there and, and, and specifically, you know, how cannabis is being branded? Yeah, well, the book, so um, I launched the book in, um, on April 20th of, of last year. Good timing. Last year. Um, yep. And uh, a very competitive time to launch something, anything cannabis related in the market. But nonetheless, we did it. Um, and the book was launched on Amazon. And over the course of the next six months, it became the number one best-selling book in the branding and logo design category, as well as the green business category. And what that shows more than anything is now is the time, right? People are really interested in this. And, you know, there's people that have been in the industry for a very long time, from around the plant for a very long time. I don't even use the word industry. And now as it's shaping and forming and evolving into an industry, um, there are new people that are coming into the market. So, you know, <clears throat> I thought it was really important to basically better understand not only the plant, but the markets that are evolving and shaping and changing, how they differ from state to state. And on top of that, why are there all these stoner stereotypes surrounding the plant and surrounding the, you know, in many ways, the brands that came from it, you know, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about um, branded products right now. I'm talking about Cheech and Chong. I'm talking about uh, Fast Times. Yeah, Spicoli. Yeah. That's right. I'm talking about the culture that came from it, and then weeds, and then all the other things, right? Um, and over time, we've started to realize, over probably the last 10 years, 12 years, we've started to realize, wait a second, cannabis consumers aren't all the same. They don't all consume flour or smoke flour. They don't all do anything, you know, similar. Um, they're very different. They're very unique. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it's not only my crazy uncle that smoked weed, it's 
you know, my mother, my father, or consumed it in whatever way they did. So it's just interesting that now it's normalizing as it normalizes where you know, we're just coming to a different place. So the idea was to basically open up the book with um, what what's the historical, um, historical, political, what are those aspects that brought us to a plant that is illegal? And then from there, what created donor culture? And then from there, what was the path to normalization, regulation, legalization, decriminalization, all of the things that everybody could have done. Yeah, yeah. It, and it makes, so, it makes sense that the stereotype of the cannabis user previously was you know, kind of the goofball, the outlaw, the rebel, because you kind of had to be a rebel to con consume cannabis because it was illegal. But now that it's legal in many states, um, basically anybody uh, across the spectrum can be a user. So that's that's great to see that, you know, the, the stereotypes are falling. And honestly, like, if people are going to choose, like, alcohol or cannabis, I would much rather have them choose cannabis. It's much better for your body uh than than alcohol and, and other intoxicants um so in your book you're writing about the 14 cannabis brand archetypes um for those of us who aren't super familiar with marketing what is a brand archetype and would you talk a bit about it sure a brand archetype is is a shortcut I mean, quite frankly, it's something that people resonate with immediately or not. Let me give an example, an analogy. Um, if I played right now three seconds of country music, of hip hop music, classical music, and jazz, you would be able to, most people would be able to say, oh, I heard that, I like that beat, I like that sound, or no, Classical isn't my thing, or whatever it is. And so a brand archetype is very much that <clears throat> relative to the brands we purchase every day and, and to the decisions we make all the time. Um, it could be the clothes we wear with the label on it, or it could be the clothes we wear that we don't want the label on. Um, it could be the products we purchase, um, you know, and, and those could be like uh, a Starbucks cup of coffee or the fact that you don't want a Starbucks cup of coffee, right? You know, that, that you're an anti-Starbucks person. So, you know, we we vote, so to speak, with our with our wallets and our choices every day. So a brand archetype is that last layer, if you will, um, you know, that calls attention to the consumer. You know, let's just say the packaging is cracked paper and, and there's, you know, green ink on it you know, it's probably a sustainable brand and it calls your attention to it. If it's, uh, you, you know, if it's black, red, and, you know, silver foil on it, it's probably more of a, a bolder brand, maybe a more masculine brand, right? If it's, uh, if it's gray and orange, it's probably, you know, a Black & Decker tool. Um, you know, so those types of things speak to us in ways we don't even realize half the time and um and those are those are brand archetypes so in the cannabis world for the last 12 years um and also i should mention i worked at dope magazine for four years of of the 12 years while being in the cannabis industry so you know met a lot of people spend a lot of time with people but 
um, what I came across was over and over again, there are certain types of brands that, that are showing up. When I say certain types, that's what a brand archetype is. So for example, the first brand that was obvious that showed up was the cultivator brand, right? The cultivator brand was because it was the cultivators that were creating the brand. So, you know, whether it was celebrities coming from that world, I don't know, like, like Trubinsky or, um, you know, exactly, exactly. And, you know, we could roll down, down that list, um, you know, but, but yeah, so first there were the cultivator brands. And then as things started to change and shift, you know, all of a sudden there were, um, you know, gender brands, you know, hey, this is, this is for a woman and, and then it's benefit specific, like, hey, this is for PMS or those types of brands or foodie brands, right? All of a sudden food became big and, you know, from farm to the table became big. All of a sudden it was like, wait a second, you know, I'm, I'm a real foodie about this and I'm a connoisseur or a connoisseur, right? So, you know, there's those types of things. There's, um, you, you know, I'll run through them. There's uh, a counterculture brand, even though almost all, I can say, all cannabis brands are counterculture brands in that it's cannabis, right? And the other thing that's really important as I go through these, um, they're not mutually exclusive. So you can have brands layered up on each other. So let me just take... Um, Whoopi and Maya. So Whoopi and Maya is Whoopi Goldberg, you know, so there's a celebrity component to it, but it, they also make um, email-based products uh, benefit for females. So now there's a gender component to it. There's also a charity component to it because they give a certain portion of the charity. Um, and, um, you know, so it's an overlay of, of multiple brands. But when you really break it down, Cultivator brand, the gender brand, the foodie brand, health and wellness, counterculture, prohibition, nostalgic, charity, luxury, value, art and design, and regional. Regional art, like some of the laws that are coming through in California right now, with triangle, or that appellational um, flower that gets from Humboldt or just comes from Mendo, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, when people are fighting. So these are all the different types or archetypes of brands that are um, out there and that are appealing to people. And again, just to sort of go through that quickly, you know, for example, let's just take a skater. A skater at the skate park who's going to light up you know, free roll with the boys, you know, or girls, um, or friends at the skate park is. Um, is different, you know. That's that's the counterculture edge. As the smoke walks across the park and the mothers by the swings with their kids look, and they sort of grimace at you know the skaters smoking weed and making sure they don't smell like weed. But you know what? Those moms are there pushing their their kids on the swings, but they're opening their tin of mints, microdosed mints with their CBD and THC, you know, which have a touch of foodie and elegance to them. And they're microdosing all day too, but they're doing it discreetly with their own way, right? So it's really interesting how, like, we all use it to medicate, so to speak, but but it also plays a role in who we are. Are we rebellious in this time of our life? Are we more discreet? Do we need some, uh, you know, some, some pain relief? Those types of things. Um, we all use it differently or consume it differently. 
and uh, and so it's different. It has we have to meet the consumers where they are. Um, Well, that's a great question, and it's something I, I think about all the time. I mean, really, it it goes like this. You know, there there's four pillars of creating a meaningful brand, and the four pillars are one, who's your consumer, and again, are they are they that skater um, that wants to be rebellious, that's gonna you know be, be awesome to pull out a pack of pre rolls and share it with their friends while they're skating, or are you that mom, that soccer mom perhaps that you have to be more discreet. You have to microdose throughout the day to take care of your pain or alleviate your pain. Um, you know, it's those types of, of, of consumers that differ greatly. So, I, so pillar number one, who is your consumer? Pillar number two is what's their need state, right? Are they being rebellious at the state food park? Are they medicating, um, you know, to alleviate pain? And I always think of this as um, additive or subtractive. So if you think for a moment of brands, your aspirational brands, you know, like Nike, just do it. You know, you know you could run so much faster if you have Nikes on than any other thing on your feet, right? Or so that's aspiration. That that's about being better than you are. Or there's what I call subtractive, which is more like Advil. You know, it's I need to take this now to alleviate my pain. And those two different mindsets the additive or subtractive mindsets are really different. So depending on what your consumer is doing and how they consume, and then, you know, thirdly, what their need state or ritual is. So again, is it somebody that takes tincture every night? Is it somebody that gets up in the morning and you know, makes and bakes? Whoever they are and whatever they do and whatever those rituals are, that's really important to know. And once you finally know that, then you get into the form factor. So are we, are they a consumer that's looking for flour to put into their bomb, or are they a consumer that takes a drop of tincture before they go to sleep at night? Um, you know, those types of things. Once we know that, then we can finally, and we have the form factor that appeals to them most um, because they, because they want to be discreet or because they want to roll and smoke a big fat blunt in front of their friends, whatever it is, you know, that's part of their lifestyle. So once we know um, who they are, their need states and rituals, which leads us to our form factors, then we finally get to the brand archetypes. And that last archetype layer, if you will, is, okay, cool. So if they are that soccer mom that's looking for microdosed mints, then we need to create a brand that appeals to soccer moms that are looking for microdosed mints. And if they're someone different, um, you, you know, I mean, a great example would be St. Ives is now coming into the market, um, you, you know, with uh, not only beverages, uh, cannabis-infused beverages, but also blunts. And why wouldn't it? It fits so much into that culture that they've always served when selling a malt liquor in 7-Eleven or the local convenience store. So, you know, there's all these other things that we don't really look at when we just look at a, a plant or when we look at a product. But there's all these things that we associate with that are really meaningful. And if you can get them all right, um, 
when you create yeah. and what you create is a loyal consumer. Yeah. So so what you would suggest for like a, a cannabis brand just starting out is don't go with the shotgun approach, try and capture, you know, every user, be more like a like a sniper and, and try and just kind of target specific niches inside of the whole spectrum of cannabis users. Yeah. The, the, so the first thing I would say is um, I call them cannabis consumers, not cannabis users. So nice. now as we talk, now as we talk about consumers and their preferences, right? Uh, the, the language starts to change and the understanding starts to change because uh, a user, um, that is such a dirty word in so many ways. But, well, they say uh, users are losers, right? That's right? Right. So consumers now have preferences and, um, you know, and choose just like they select any other product. But, you know, that, that said, yeah, that's what this is all about, right? What this is all about is serving up the right product at the right time. And, um, and that might be a big split or it might be a microdose, you know, mint. But, you know, to come back to, to your question, you know, which is, which is really how do, how do we serve this up? And, you know, who, who are these people? Um, you know, that's how it all comes together with the meaningful brand and better understanding, you know, what they're looking for. But, you know, for those startup brands, which is where you were a moment ago in your question, for those startup brands, the first thing is quality product, right? You, you know, you can't, you can't get away from a quality product. So if, if, and that starts with the plant, I'll say that, you know, and however that plant changes over the course of time, through extractions, through other types of manipulation, you got to start with the quality plant and you have to be really smart about what you love that plant and what you put into it because what you put into it is what you get out of it. So that's the first thing. But, but yeah, it's, it is, um, it is, hey, who are we selling to? You know, what do they want? Um, can we serve it up to them better? Um, you, you know, is there a more convenient way? Is there a smarter way? Like, there's all these other things and that's where I think you start. You know, I mean, what makes the Jungle Boys so special is they're the Jungle Boys and they grow great weed or, you know, what is it, uh, 40 pounds of light, you know, uh, from back, back, uh, you know, a minute ago, or, you know, or Shabinsky, or, you know, I could throw out other names, but whoever it is, um, it starts off with a quality product and it starts off with that's where they get their brand name, um, and then it goes from there. And, you know, whether it's their name or whether it's a brand or logo they create, that's how we as humans understand products. So I don't think cannabis would be any different. Now, um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to check out uh, our SmartPot branding, but I was just curious if you if you did get a chance to check that out and if you had any observations on it or, you know, maybe how it fits in relative to the cannabis industry? Yeah, it's, well, it's interesting. I, I did, I, I recognized the brand and I did take a look at it. Um, you know, what's interesting is from a functional perspective, right? Not necessarily from a cannabis perspective, but from a functional perspective, um, the, the tagline doesn't call out that it's a fabric um, uh, product, which is interesting because I think, um, 
you know, often, often when I think about plant pots, I think about plastic. And, and so the fact that it's a little more sustainable, um, it's not called out initially. That, that was my first thought, like, oh, this is really interesting as I dug in. I'm like, okay, cool. These are, these are fabric pots. They're, they're just not any pots, right? Um, so they're more sustainable. They're, the story is, uh, I don't know, a little bit more um, appealing to me. It's a grand archetype, right? It's that same thing. You know, oh, wow, these, these are more sustainable. They're made out of fabric. Um, cool, I, I get this. There's an urban version. Wow, this makes sense. I, I relate to it. And, and therefore, you know, there's that. The, the one thing which would be interesting, just to throw this out as a suggestion, and I didn't see this, but in the, uh, on the packaging, you know, there's, I don't want to call it, it's not necessarily a trellis, but it's certainly a graphic um, um, grouping of, of plants and vegetables. And it would be interesting to incorporate, you know, assuming, assuming who your customers are and who you sell to, but to incorporate some cannabis um, leaves into that to imply that, um, you know, this is not only for fruits and vegetables, but it's also for this. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not a big fan of throwing cannabis leaf on anything. In fact, I always uh, pause and hesitate, um, you know, before I do that or before, I'm, I'm always the guy to say, let's pull the leaf off and tell the story in a different way. But in this case, you're actually telling the story graphically um, and with, with done in the right way, it's a hint and a nod to, hey, this, this, this is also great for this event. Yeah. Yeah, we, we kind of do a dance, I guess, in the uh, marketing realm with SmartPots because we kind of have two, well, really three specific customers. We've got tree farmers, which is our original industry, lawn and garden, and then cannabis. And... I would say your typical backyard grower, you know, is a lot different from your typical cannabis grower, but at the same time, they're, they're using the same product. So we, um, we, we have actually two different, I guess, you know, product packaging, uh, and labeling designs. You know, the one that you saw is that's kind of, you know, fruits, vegetables, and herbs, that's our lawn and garden. And then we've got a, a different, uh, tag for, you know, our bulk packaging, which goes more towards like the hydroponics stores and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, based on kind of what you're telling me here, I, I think we're doing a, a pretty good job of, you know, referencing cannabis without having it be, you know, so in your face like that. So awesome. Good, good, good to hear that we're, we're on the right track there then. Um, and most, most importantly is, most importantly is don't ever alienate your current customers for potential new customers, you know, that's, that's what, um, that's what's most important, you know, when, when you have a business that serves a market, and now you see another market coming online, you still have to keep your eye on your bread and butter. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a dance. But you know, what's kind of cool is at least with, you know, legalization efforts, and you know, the overall acceptance of cannabis in society, um it's not as tough as it was for us maybe you know 10 years ago or so 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in terms of uh, kind of looking forward, what do you think is on the horizon for the cannabis industry in terms of branding and marketing? Well, I mean, right now, you know, from my perspective, and again, it's probably because that's where my focus is, you know, branding and marketing, marketing seems to be pretty much everything. Um, and again, I start off with a quality product is most important. So, you know, you know, so beyond that, right, you know, which is not just something to, uh, you know, to sniff at, um, but beyond that, branding and marketing, I think, will become everything. Just as I said earlier, every product, every product that we live and breathe and purchase is all about branding. And, you know, I, I mean, I'll just run through this quickly. In the 50s and 60s, um, everything was about efficiency. So, you, you know, it would use less gas, it would um, toast your toast, you know, evenly and perfectly and fast. Um, and it was about efficiency. And then when we got to the 70s and 80s, it was about feeling. So it was not necessarily about the Mustang per se, it was about your hair, not us, but, uh, or back then, our hair blowing as we drove the car 80 or 90 miles an hour. It was about the exhilaration and the feeling um, you, you know, that, that we felt. And then we started to get into the, you know, 90s and 2000s where it was brands and logos and who we associated with and who we didn't associate with. And there were certain brands where, you know, you'd go into a store and all you, all you really wanted was a sweatshirt or a hoodie, let's just say. And because of a logo on it, you wouldn't buy it because it associated you with all these other things. Or because, for example, my 12-year-old kid if it's got a Nike logo on it, he's got to have it. Um, you know, so it's just interesting to see that association and disassociation. And then really, as we come into sort of, you know, where we are today, we, we really, it's about our beliefs more than anything. We buy products now because we believe in certain things for certain causes or charities related to them, um, or they stand for certain things, right? A brand, a brand is a promise. And the ability to consistently live up to that promise. So if a brand is telling you we stand for this and you believe in that, you're going to go buy that product until they they mismanage your expectations or until you mismanage your expectations. But but bottom line, that's where we are today. So if you think about the arc of branding and and uh, all the things we've sort of grabbed onto over the course of time. It's only going to continue and even more so because even the core people in cannabis, uh, the cultivators will still look at the plant and look at the beauty of the plant. But as that moves out away from the plant and extracts and butters and distillates and isolates ingredients in ingredients in beverages and edibles, and finally down the road, new toothpastes and mouthwash mouthwash and all these soaps and all these other things that we won't even think about, um, you, you know, where it came from. Uh, we'll just know that this is better for us or, or it's a trend, like gluten-free, right? You know, things become trends in products and we accept them as consumers or not. But it's all about branding. It's all about marketing. It's all about, um, it's all about that. And, and even that said, I just want to say, it all starts from the plant. So you can't forget, you, know, you can't forget that, that cycle that it always comes back to the plant. So I'm just a, a believer in what goes into the plant comes out of the plant.
Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. As as a big advocate advocate uh, for cannabis, um, you know, it all comes down to the plant, like you said. Um, it, it, you could have the best marketing in the world, but if you crack open a jar and you know it doesn't meet your expectations, uh, you're not going to be buying that product again. So. Um, any final thoughts on you, your message, you know, what you're working on in the future? Well, um, yeah, you, you know, my, my message is always it starts with the plant and what we're trying to do is normalize the plant. Um, if we can normalize the plant, then, you, you know, and, and regulate it in reasonable ways and, you know, find social equity and social justice and all the things that, that we're seeking. I think the plant is is really you know a magical place to start for all of those things. So that's why I think the plant is so important. As far as me, um, you know, on Monday nights I host a clubhouse show called Branding Bud, where I talk with uh, different um, brand owners about what they're doing and what the market's doing. Um, on Wednesdays I have a podcast which is available at brandingbud.com. Every Wednesday, I launch a new uh, podcast again on branding with brand owners in the cannabis space. And then on Fridays on LinkedIn Live at 10 a.m. EST, what I do is uh, I have something called Canifac Friday, where we take a trend and a data point, and we look at that and contextualize that so we have a better understanding. And a great example of that is, you know, the cannabis-infused beverage market is the fastest-growing segment in cannabis form factor, but it only equates to one or 2% of the market as a whole. So, right. you know, if you just took the first snippet without the second snippet, you'd think many different things are going on. So we try to uh, talk through some of the data points and contextualize things and spread the knowledge, spread the love and uh, do it in a way that's uh, a little fun and humorous. But that's my Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and outside of that, I'm writing uh, my next book, uh, again, following up on branding public infusion of cannabis. So we've got the next edition of that coming out, which has updated brands. Um, and then there's the Dank Dictionary, which is coming out as well, which is going to talk about words and the history of words and uh, sort of put them out there in a way that we can also better understand the, the development of what we call cannabis. Nice, nice. And uh, if people wanted to, you know, reach out to you and kind of, you know, get in touch with you, are you on social media like Instagram? Are you on YouTube, Facebook? I am. Uh, yes, I'm uh, on LinkedIn. You could find me there first. I think that's usually where it's easiest for me. But I'm. On... That's where we found you. That's right. So LinkedIn first. Thank you, uh, LinkedIn, and thank you for finding me. Um, and then on Instagram uh, at Branding Bud. On Twitter at Branding Bud and uh, on my website, which is brandingbud.com. And you could always reach out to me directly at David at brandingbud.com. Awesome. Uh, David Palaszczuk, this has been a really cool interview for me to conduct. I've learned a lot. Um, being in sales and marketing, you know, myself, um, I, I was just like a sponge listening to you. So uh, hopefully, other people checking out this podcast will you know, <clears throat> help out, it'll help with their branding and, uh, you know, get them to think more about it and how important it is and going to be more important going forward. So 
Uh, thank you very much for your time and joining us on The Growing Revolution today. Right on. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you.